Welcome to Dare to Know. This is Fred Shankelberg, and today we're talking to Greg Hutchins. And Greg and I have been talking almost on a weekly basis, I think it's been, about our respective businesses and our way we operate and the content we share with our respective audiences. We also have an overlap, uh, reliability and risk, an area of focus for Greg and his team has been on risk and risk management. And so let's let Greg talk a little bit about what he means by risk and risk management and welcome Greg to the show. Welcome Greg to Dare to Know. Thanks, Fred. I appreciate it. So first of all, Fred, thank you very much for being my uh, mentor and guru on uh, putting my stuff online. Without you, I don't think I would be uh, doing this. So a little background. I'm an engineer. Uh, We really have three platforms that we currently have. One, working at .com focuses on the changing of work. Two, CERM Academy, which is basically a platform that we build for training, educating, um, and evangelizing about the changes going on in quality. For example, we believe the future of quality is going to be risk. And the third platform we have is our engineering. So we basically do um, risk management engineering, more specifically critical infrastructure protection, uh, forensics assurance analytics. That's a mouthful. But anyway, that's a little background on who we are. Wow. You know, you meant... I don't know where to start. There's three great big platforms there. Uh, but the risk management and, and CIRM, I know, is associated with risk. And mm-hmm. But you mentioned that it's that's the future of quality. And you mentioned that's the direction it's going. What, what do you base that on? Well, there was a couple. Interestingly, that's a good question. So about 2000, we were running the quality component of a $7 billion airport. Uh, or $7 billion job. In this case, we were building a SeaTac airport. So we had the contract for all of their quality. Unfortunately, 9-11 hit, and everything got disrupted. Mm-hmm. And what we were doing was basically putting in traditional quality systems, ISO, quality management assurance control systems into the airport. Mm-hmm. And it was everything from design to construction to maintenance. But with the disruption of 9-11, we discovered that the quality systems didn't work. Um, There was too much volatility, uncertainty. Um, So we moved over to risk management. Traditionally, quality has been historically looking. Risk management is more forward-looking. The other thing we did is we focused on hard metrics, metrics that are quite often outside the quality space. So we looked at KPIs, key performance indicators, key risk indicators for the project. Because in one case, <laughs> uh, we helped make a bid on a construction job that was about $330 million, $330 million. But by the time, because of 9-11, we were looking at over $1.2 billion. So our estimates, and normally our estimates for a job when we even account for the change orders, are plus or minus 4%. That's what we would call the acceptable range. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, (laughs) when we basically uh, estimated the job at, say, 330, and it comes in at almost four times as much, (laughs) something was going on. So we started moving over to risk that time. Well, and we've, yeah, well sorry. Greg, that, that sounds like, I mean, from a business process, there's always risk and there's been scenario planning and, and 
a lot of business decisions are are in the context of understanding a risk. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and when you mentioned the quality part, the traditional quality is, I think a lot of people think of the white lab coat at the end of the line doing process control. Is this in spec or not? Well, quality, to be fair, has moved beyond that. It does get into management systems and the way this way decisions are made. But what you're getting at, though, is that the traditional ways of quality management and process monitoring that looking back to making incremental changes doesn't account for these disruptive events or the magnitude type of changes. Is that a fair summary, what you were just talking about? Yeah, I I think you're exactly right. Um, If we go back to about 2001, and we were putting in an ISO 9001 system into place. We were doing on the design. We were doing on the on the construction side. Basically, we were doing what I would call check the box quality, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> clause by clause. Check the box. We made sure things were working properly. So there was a quality manual. There was a policy. There were work instructions. You had things you were measuring and tracking. That is what you mean. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. When we moved over to the risk, we had to become much more integrated into the system, uh, the system of design, the system of evaluating the A&Es, the architects and engineers, uh, much more. We had to move to the front end and actually become part of the senior executive team uh, looking at quality and risk for the entire project. Well, this is different than just the risk of the quality process Uh, something escaping and it's an error. You're talking about more of the foundational parts of your system being not properly designed, which has not been part of the quality charter. You're right. You're right. And that's, you know, again, we're, (laughs) we're going back two iterations of um, ISO. So there was a ISO 9001, 2000. There was an ISO 9001, 2008. The new revision of 2015 basically goes back to what we were doing 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, It incorporates risk. It incorporates context. It incorporates senior management engagement. And it's become almost more proactive and preventive in terms of its focus. And that's what, you know, that's what basically pulled us into risk. We were basically a 100% risk quality shop 15 years ago. Now I'm guessing we're a hundred percent risk shop. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, without going into a, I know you do a boot camp on on and have written a number of books and so on on this topic. But in, if a company's in the traditional quality uh, approach, or or for my world and reliability engineering, doing traditional things, how would they? One, identify a risk. Two, is incorporated into the way they make decisions such that it helps them deal with, even like 9-11 you mentioned, is a low probability, high impact event. Hopefully nobody has to deal with one of those again. But the idea is, is that we do face these high impact disruptions uh, in all kinds of industries. But how do you, other than saying, I'm going to deal with risk, what's that look like? That's a good question. So we've, again, we've been in quality for almost, (laughs) 
35 years. So we base, <laughs> we go back to its uh, foundations in 1987. Actually, we worked probably with the first North American uh, certification body. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, what I'm about to say might cause some consternation among our listeners, but quality, unfortunately, over the last probably 20 years has become more tools oriented. Well, lean comes to mind immediately. It's a whole <laughs> suite of tools. <laughs> well, I was thinking of Six Sigma, but yes, yeah. lean could be the same thing. Right. And um, part of it is it went, it went very good quality focused on tools, transactions, and products, where what happened to risk is that it moved further up the organization. So from our point of view, normally when we're doing what we would call ERM, enterprise risk management, we focus at the highest level of the organization, move down. And I think um, the challenges for quality will be integrating the senior focus of how executives see the world, which is basically risk and control (laughs) Mm -hmm. to the way how quality approaches the world, which is sort of a bottom-up focus of process capability, process control, uh, improvement. Mm-hmm. So that, I think, will be a major challenge for a lot of us in the quality profession. Well, I'm still not getting a clean picture of well, what would an organization do different uh, if they're going to adopt this risk-based thinking kind of approach? Well, the risk-based, well, let's talk about risk-based thinking. So about three years ago, ISO in 9001 uh, adopted a tagline. The tagline is risk-based thinking. Mm-hmm. Really surprised everybody, if not shocked. And by the way, when I say everybody, it's probably 1.2 million companies are certified globally to 9001. Right. There are probably another couple hundred thousand consultants and auditors and other folks <laughs> that provide services to that to those companies. So out of the blue, they, they being ISO, adopted this tagline, risk-based thinking, and really never defined it. Never defined it. <laughs> and, <laughs> what, <laughs> and I still, after about three years, I haven't really seen any really good definition of what risk-based thinking is. We had to define it because we have clients and we have to operate, operationalize that concept. Right. So what ISO has been doing, and again, this is my interpretation, is trying to take their standards, quality management, um, environmental management, and basically move it up the food chain, move it up into the executive suite. Mm -hmm. And in the new standard, they're actually requiring that, more management involvement. Uh, To be more precise, executive involvement, which... (laughs) basically means people with a uh, vice president title and possibly even a board level. Right. So what we have uh, is the 1.2 million companies moving quality, quality management systems up the organization. The organization probably already has, especially the larger ones, some type of risk management. So now the challenge is we're going to have to basically integrate some type of risk with the ISO system. That's going to be the big challenge, I think, in the quality space over the next three to five years. Well, see, I'm still struggling with 
I mean, part of it is not a clear definition out of ISO of what risk-based thinking is. Uh But, I mean, there's a handful of tools that we've used for years that even a decision matrix saying, if I decide to ship this product, I have this much risk for a warranty expense, Mm -hmm. right? And if I don't ship it, I lose the revenue and and our investment in the development is lost. And there's a sliding scale. There's an uncertainty as to what is our risk in the market if we have sales or if the marketing doesn't work or if another product takes away our market. or Those are all, to me, risks of doing business, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So, And there are a handful of tools out there to help people quantify those things and to wrestle with them and, and make you know, put some sense in order to what is the major risk and which is a minimal risk. But are you suggesting that we do something like a a failure modes effects analysis on a decision to launch a product line or not? Is that, I'm having trouble visualizing what is, what is it we, if we're going to manage up in the organization from the quality platform to our senior managers, what are we asking them to do? Well, there are several questions in that, so I'll try to deal with it, Um, deal with them. So one of the things, and you're right, we can use a FEMA, Failure Modes Effect Analysis, very, very good tool. So what we've seen are four different types of organizations that will be transitioning to risk. At the lowest level, our company is probably from one to 50 people. They'll basically be using a checklist or a, um, a FEMA or even, <laughs> even a SWAT. Mm-hmm. That's the, the sec- situation, uh, what does SWAT stand for? Excuse me. Um, yeah, SWAT is uh, it's a tool. It stands for strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Okay, that's what I remember. It's, it's, it's a, a, it's, it helps you think through the bigger picture around what you're trying to decide. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the lowest level firm will be basically a small company, one to 50 people who want to have that certificate, that compliance, that conformance certificate on the wall. The second level company will be probably 50 to 200, maybe 500 people. And they will actually set up a formal risk assessment program. They'll develop a taxonomy, you mean a a vocabulary of risk. Mm -hmm. They'll train people. They'll develop a tailored a risk management framework, probably based upon ISO 31000. And uh, they'll basically use simple tools for their risk assessment. And the tools can be anything from a FEMA to a SPC to traditional quality tools. And that'll work. Okay. But this is quantifying the, say, the magnitude of the risk being undertaken. So if I, if I'm deciding to work with a vendor we have tools in place to assess vendors and to understand if they're going to be a good business partner, but there's a risk there. And what this is saying is you need to, um, quant- to, to recognize and that risk and in make and have processes to incorporate the magnitude of that risk into your decision-making. That's right. Okay. So at the lowest level, and we can use similar words, um, if you're one to 50 people, you're going to do risk-based problem solving. Mm-hmm. As you move up to the next level of maturity, uh, say you're 50 to 200 people, you're going to have a formal risk assessment program. 
largely that'll have problem solving, risk-based problem solving, that'll also incorporate some type of risk-based decision-making. So let's move to the next level up here, anywhere from 500 people, maybe up to 1,000, maybe more. At that point, I think you're ready for risk management. And risk management is more of a structure form, <laughs> a structured approach for, um, for basically addressing, identifying and addressing and mitigating risk. And with that type of program, you're going to focus, I think you're going to focus on both the risk assessment and the decision-making of risk. Those type of programs are enterprise-wide. For us and quality, they're going to probably use ISO 31000. We're going to have a formal framework, and everybody is going to be trained in risk. Well, with that, would that end result be at that level that there would be a reduction in the number of errors, bad decisions that are made? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we've heard about companies that do you know, these blockbuster mergers only to <laughs> three, four year, years later. It just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that the kind of thing that this would influence or or? I mean, at different magnitudes and at each level of decision, but is it really aimed at minimum? I mean, we're still going to make mistakes. People are going to make mistakes, but is it the aim to minimize those faulty decision-making processes? As we move up the maturity curve, that's exactly right. Um, We're moving more to what I would call a proactive, preemptive, preventive type of approach. Mm Mm-hmm. And we try to understand, in quality speak or <laughs> ISO speak, we try to understand this, the landscape and the context of the organization. So that's the goal. Now, does it work 100% of the time? Absolutely not. But it makes us a little bit more conscious, especially at that level three organization, of how we should look at problems at the programmatic level, at the project process and then even at a lower level, transactional and product level. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, idea, the idea is, much like lean, is to, <laughs> is to uh, um, you know, uh, mistake-proof what we do and how we think and how we decide. Well, that's not as easy as making sure that the holes line up so I can put the screw in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's like square peg around a hole. Right. A lot of that was interesting. A lot of that has been going on in quality for a long time. We've been tools focused. And we haven't had the voice up at the board level or at the senior executive level. And I really don't know why. You know, 30 years ago, we had Deming, Crosby, Duran, uh, <laughs> Feigenbaum. Mm-hmm. We had a, a number of... Uh, and Deming, of course. How, how, how could I forget Deming? You know, we had a lot of what I would call really brilliant, persuasive um, people who spoke to the executives on a peer level, a peer-to-peer level. We don't have that anymore. So, and again, this is my personal <laughs> point of view, but in the last 20 years, maybe 10 years, we've gone back to tools. And quite frankly... The folks at the executive level, they want to know, um, well, let's look at risk, the definition of risk. 
ISO defined risk in an interesting way. Um, traditionally, we look at risk in terms of downside. Downside in terms of high likelihood and high consequence. ISO looked at risk also in terms of upside. What's the opportunity that we might be taking or we might be missing if we don't jump on something like a merger or an acquisition or a purchase of a piece of capital equipment? Mm -hmm. That's the stuff. That's the language that executive management is really interested in. You know, they're looking at the big picture, the the million dollar or more investment, right? Wanting to know, will this basically save us money or make us money? And that's, I think, the direction that quality is going, is moving quality up to the executive level and making that part of the conversation. I think it's really, really important. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to it happening because I, I, I know from a reliability point of view, speaking for myself, is that it's very similar to what we've been talking about in this field is getting into the senior managers, but you have to speak their language. You have to understand the types and magnitude and the language to, to make it work. So it sounds like you're going to be in a position and have been working uh, with the CERM Academy and with your, your writing to help people in the quality world or in the management world for that matter, to, to transition to this uh, dealing with risk in an explicit way. So what, what is the CIRM Academy? I, I'm familiar with your newsletter that comes out weekly, which I contribute to, by the way. Thanks for including my articles. Uh, but it covers all kinds of stuff, from medical to management to quality to um, – and I think you have uh, IT, you know, <laughs> security risk kinds of things. There's all kinds of stuff in there. But how does that all fit together with the newsletter, the academy, the boot camps that I've heard about? So th thanks for the plug. I appreciate it. <laughs> the checks of the mail. Yeah. Uh, so for us right now, there are two big drivers for risk. Uh, the first is the federal government, U.S. federal government. They incorporated ERM into statute, specifically OMB A123 and OMB, Office of Management and Budget A11. Both of them require that the feds at the department level uh, and normally at the number two level of the organization or even at the highest level, create an ERM program, enterprise risk management. So when you say departments, this is like department of state, department of defense, department of transportation, department of agriculture, those departments. Absolutely. Okay. At the highest, at the highest level. So they're creating a position called the CRO, which stands for chief risk officer. The CRO will either be a deputy or a political position, depending upon the agent, depending upon the department. Mm -hmm. So it could be an assistant secretary of um, of um, DOD, Department of Defense, or it could be the chief operating officer for the operational side mm -hmm. of the department. Now, what's surprising us is that the feds now are cascading this to the states this year. So if Department of Transportation has these ERM requirements, they're going to be cascaded to the state level. And again, we're not talking financial ERM, we're talking operational ERM, design ERM. 
right. ITERM. So that means Caltrans, ODOT, Oregon Department of Transportation, every agency basically will have to have a ERM program. The second big driver for us, and by the way, in terms of the impacts of that, we're just seeing that right now in the United States. Are other countries doing that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And by the way, we've identified 18 sectors where this is occurring. So it's not only in Department of Defense, but it's in transportation, <laughs> health and human services. Anyway, you get the idea. Right, across the board. Yeah. Across the board. And that's going to be a tsunami. Um, so our cert- certificate program basically wants to train people in that. Our second market, our second driver is ISO. ISO adopted risk-based thinking. However, they never defined it. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so in lieu or in the absence of a definition, we've defined it as two simple things. Risk-based problem solving, risk-based decision making. Because from our point of view, you can't operationalize or you can't audit somebody's thinking. <laughs> Not unless you pass mind reading 101. Right. right. <laughs> you know, according to ISO, we need to have an audit trail. According to ISO, we have to operationalize this concept. Well, the only way that, from our point of view we can oper- operationalize it is by saying it's risk-based thinking is problem-solving and decision-making because we've got artifacts. And once we've got those artifacts, then we can operationalize it and we can audit against it. Mm-hmm. So those are our two markets. They're operational markets for ERM. And what we want to do and are, have been doing for a number of years is training people to architect a risk management framework, deploy the framework, uh, and assure the framework, meaning it assure, meaning ensure that the framework is operating as it's supposed to and within the risk appetite of the organization. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, as that cascades down the organization, meaning the ERM system from the enterprise level to the programmatic to the uh, project process product level, ERM is just sort of going to be on top of or integrated with the quality system. So we spend five days basically architecting, designing, deploying, and assuring a risk management framework. That's what we do. Okay. He's a, I, we're going to have to go offline, and our, our next discussion, <laughs> Greg's going to be about how to do that for my business. Um, because some somebody told me that I'm the quality manager for my own single person shop, so <laughs> which I understand. Now, I mean, part of it is it's a, a new set of language and skills. I think it leverages a lot of what we already do and how people think through things. But by making it explicit, I think it was Deming that said, "If you can't if you can't measure it, you know, is it important or something like that." Uh, I don't have his quote in front of me, but it was basically this idea of 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 being able to monitor, track uh, that assurance element of it. It sets up a structure then that you can evaluate and and improve the process you're using. And we do use processes to make decisions. So I think this is extending those the quality type of approach we've done for so many years into, like you said, into the higher level 
activity of, of actually making decisions at all levels of the organization. So I think your workshop's going to be in your the boot camp and your books and stuff are going to do pretty well because there's really <laughs> not a lot out there right now at the moment to, uh, to fill that void, to get people up to speed. Well, you know, as w- from the federal point of view, since all of that is statutory, we have a steady stream of people. The quality profession still has to, from our point of view, uh, wrap its arms around RBT, risk-based thinking. Mm-hmm. It's still too new. Um, and again, ISO has not given us much guidance. So we try to preempt the market by defining it in terms of risk-based problem solving, risk-based decision making. Um, we hope that's the right way to go. <laughs> well, you know, what's, we can, you could talk about the risk of that, but I think we're, we're up against the upper end of our time limit for one of these discussions. But Greg, I think you whet my appetite to dive into it to some more because uh, I see it overlapping with what we do in the reliability field. Uh, and this, my audience for this is the, the tagline for this show is interviews with quality and reliability thought leaders. So you're certainly there, right? We might have to add the word risk uh, to our tagline though, and find and, and, and acknowledge that as a big part of what we, t- what we need to be addressing. So Greg, thank you very much for joining us on Dare to Know. Thank you, Fred. I appreciate your time. <laughs>